Thanks, Pete. Well, there is a bit of a, uh, a trend in online meme-related culture, and it goes something like this. I was today years old when... And someone might say there's something that they had been doing all along that they discovered today. It's taken a long time to get to this point. And so people use that phrase. I was today years old when I discovered... And there are a few things I discovered this week. I was today years old when I discovered that the word footage, the word footage when you're talking about a piece of a video clip that you have, uh, comes from the fact that once upon a time, film was in long strands of film and you'd get a short piece because it would be a, a footage, a couple of feet worth of, of clip. I was today years old when I realised that. I was also today years old when I realised that KFC and their followers on Twitter, or as X as it's now called, they only have 11 followers. Here they are on the screen. They're only herbs and spices. 11 herbs and spices. There's seven herbs there and four spice girls. Mel Brown, Mel Bun uh, Emma Bunton, Mel C and Victoria Beckham, four of the spice girls. And seven herbs. They're the only people they follow on Twitter. I was today years old when I worked that out. Your life's changed because of this, hasn't it? I was today years old when I realised that the divided by symbol is actually just a fraction with a gap on the top and a gap on the bottom for you to divide the two numbers one by another. I don't know if you recognise that. And don't try this one now, but I was today years old when I realised that any iPhone owner could type these two words into their phone and send it to another person and it would be sent with lasers. Yes, real lasers. Don't try it now. Don't try it now. Try it later as much as you want. Send me, send me all of those pew-pews. And that's iOS only, only iPhones. That's right, only iPhones, only iPhones. I was today years old when I discovered all of these things. These are standard things, perhaps, that we've known all the time. Perhaps we've used the word footage a lot. Perhaps we use the divided by symbol in day-to-day -day life. Perhaps we use our phone and send messages to other people all the time. These are standard things discovered new, discovered afresh. And today we're going to start a small series, five weeks worth, on uh, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 8 to 10. And what I hope is that we look with fresh eyes and we say, I was today years old when I was confronted again with who Jesus is. And I'm seeing these things afresh. If you've grown up in anything like the church, you'll know these stories really well. But I hope that you'll see these stories and be confronted with Jesus again and see them fresh. And particularly today, I hope that we'll get to end the end of today's message from Matthew 8, as Pete's just read for us, and say, I was today years old when I was confronted with the authority of Jesus. This morning, uh, we've got question time again. If you want to ask a question later, we can do that. Slido.com is the place to do it. And the hashtag is HBSP. I'm going to pray and then we'll dive into this little uh, section of scripture together that we may know well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with us. We thank you so much for speaking to us. And we ask, please, that you would uh, continue uh, this morning to teach us, to show us who Jesus is, uh, perhaps with fresh eyes, so that we might uh, go from here being ready uh, to sit under his authority. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've got in front of us, don't we, three of the classic narratives 
of the story of Jesus' life. His healing ministry. His healing ministry that, as far as we can see here, is effortless and, and generous and, and faithful. But before we begin looking at each one of these narratives in turn, uh, we need to stop just for a moment. Because these stories of the healing ministry of Jesus are, for me, pastorally difficult. I think one of the hardest things for followers of Jesus in our own Western world to get their head around is why did Jesus have the power to heal then and doesn't seem to have the power to heal now? I can tell you, as a, as a minister of the gospel, nothing causes more doubt in Christians' minds than why they are sick and why they are not getting better. Or why a friend is sick and they're not getting better. Or why I'm praying to Jesus and nothing seems to be happening. We ask the question, if Jesus has the power to heal, is it possible that that power is not available to us today? The answer, of course, is, is no. Jesus' power is the same. The same then as it, as it is now. And so the, the question that flows from this is, then why don't we see this power of Jesus at work in this world? And even if we say, well, look, we don't want to see this power of Jesus necessarily everywhere, but surely the power of Jesus should, should come at least to his followers in healing, in taking away sickness, in using his power to transform the lives of people in this world. And it causes lots of people, lots of Christians who walk strongly with the Lord and then get sick to become full of doubt and flaky in their faith. And we ask the question, why? What is God doing? What is Jesus doing? Where is his power when we need it the most? And these three narratives help us. And they help us because Matthew summarises these three events for us. In Matthew's typical way, he takes an Old Testament reference and he tells us that this was to fulfil what the prophet had said, come with me to the end of this section of scripture, verse 16. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Jesus healed all who were sick. All who were sick. Well, we don't see that same sort of thing today. And here, Matthew references Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. And in this verse, it seems to be saying that Jesus took on not only our sin, but also our sicknesses, that he took on our diseases, that he took on our illnesses. And it's led many over the years to say, this is the passage of Scripture that means all Christians should pray for, ask for, and claim healing. In Jesus' name. Let's have a look at the context of the quote from Isaiah 53. Here it is up on the screen, Isaiah 53 verses 4 to 6. You probably know this passage really well. If any passage is well known in the book of Isaiah, it would be this one. And this is what it says. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. So it goes on, but he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our, for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's right. That's how well we know these verses, isn't it? We know these verses really well and they clearly speak about uh, the, the prophecy of Jesus' death. These verses are about the death of Jesus. How we are forgiven from sin, forgiven from iniquity and by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. What does this mean? Is Isaiah saying that we are spiritually healed by the Lord Jesus? Well, of course, the answer to that is yes. Sins are forgiven in the death of Jesus. But Matthew doesn't use the reference in the same way, does he? In chapter 8, verse 17, Matthew ties this prophecy directly to physical healing. So what can we say? Is Jesus' death on the cross, death for sin and healing from sin, and healing physically? Well, the answer is, is yes. Jesus' death frees us from sin, forgives us of sin, and gives us perfect health. See, all believers will be 100% perfectly healed. And when we are, it will be because of the atoning death of Jesus on the cross for us. But we cannot name the timing of when this will take place. Except to say that it will happen when Jesus returns or we go to be with him in glory. That healing is 100% promised by the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we receive it, it will happen because of his atoning death on the cross for us. So what about now? Does Jesus heal now? Well, yes, he can. And we ought to ask for that. And if we are uh, privileged by God to be able to receive healing in this world, we can know these two things. One, the healing we receive is because of the atoning death of Jesus on the cross for us. And two, it will not last forever. Each of the people in this narrative, the three people that are highlighted for us that we'll look at in a moment, and all who were healed in verse 16 all went on to get in some way sick and die later on down the track. And so will we. If God is kind enough to provide us with healing in this world, it is because of the atoning death of Jesus, but it will not last forever. However, there is a day coming for all believers in the Lord Jesus where we will have pure, complete and total healing and it will last forever. So what do we do? Well, now we, we, we pray, don't we? We should. We should pray for ourselves as we are sick, our friends, our family, our church family, when they are sick. We should ask humbly for Jesus to use his power in that regard when and if by his will he decides it's the right thing to do. But we must not have any expectation that this should happen or it should be a regular thing. Some will be healed now and for a time, but all believers will be healed in the future. 
And what we see here in these uh, verses, in these narratives, in these events in Matthew chapter 8 is a sign of Jesus' power to show that he has the authority to be able to heal us once and for all. It's a bit like what happened on Tuesday. I went out for a bit of a walk on Tuesday afternoon. uh, And as I did, uh, really, you know when you get those really, really big drops of rain, really huge ones, they just bang, they seem to hit the ground. uh, And there's only only a small number of them. And they just seem to hit the ground. You can almost count them as they land on the asphalt road when you're walking along. But what does that tell you? It tells you there's a few small spots now, but it's not going to take very long and there'll be a big downpour. And what happens in this world with, with physical healing is much the same. Jesus does and can bring a healing and it's like those drops of rain. He can do that in this world. But there is a day coming when Jesus will return, when we will go to be with him and the soaking rains will be here, when all of the believers will receive this full and complete healing. Well, that's to set up this passage. But it's also to read the Bible with modern eyes. See, for us, as we read the Bible with modern eyes, we we read it in a therapeutic way. Please tell me, Lord Jesus, how this might benefit my life. That's how we read the Bible, isn't it? But it's not to be the way we read the Bible. We should read the Bible to see what it says about Jesus. We should read it Christologically, not anthropologically. We should read it with Christ as our focus rather than ourselves. So what does this passage actually say about Jesus? Because that's what Matthew wants to tell us. It's what the Lord God wants to tell us. Well, it tells us about Jesus' authority. You might remember a few weeks ago, Matt Leach finished a series in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. And there we saw the authority of Jesus to teach And the Sermon on the Mount finishes this way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The crowds were astonished. And the crowds keep following Jesus, chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. But what they're about to experience in the next couple of chapters is a different kind of authority. The authority here to heal. Verses 1 to 4 tell us about the leper. The man who had a a skin disease and came before Jesus. Now for us, we, we don't think too much about this, but this man was in a dire situation. He was outcast. He would have been asked to leave the community because of his skin disease. He was considered unclean and with no real hopes of change. This was some sort of terminal sort of skin disease that he would have had. And according to the law of Moses, he was to be sent away from the people and not allowed to be around other people lest they be unclean as well. And so the fact that he comes near to the crowds who are hanging around with Jesus is unusual by itself. Perhaps he was able to get into town and see Jesus. Perhaps he disguised himself or or put a hood on in some way to... to to get in and see Jesus, but he gets there and in verse 2 we see he comes humbly before Jesus. He kneels before him, showing his humility before Jesus. And he says to him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Notice what he says. It's a sign of his faith, isn't it? It's just a short few words, but it, it shows his faith. 
This leper, as he comes towards Jesus, doesn't say this, Lord, if you can, make me clean. No, he doesn't ask that. He says, Lord, if you will, make me clean. The leper knew that Jesus was perfectly able to heal him. It wasn't a a throw at the stumps just hoping for the best outcome. He knew Jesus could heal him. And so he says to him humbly, if you will, you can make me clean. This is not a demand or a claim or using Jesus as some sort of vending machine to get what he wants. He sees Jesus as the authority. Jesus has the power and authority to do this very thing. And so he kneels and asks humbly, if you will. Now you have to imagine, don't you, that if Jesus said no, the man would have humbly walked away. But Jesus does not say no here. He has the authority. And he says yes. He says yes. Now nothing has changed today. Jesus continues to have the same sort of authority that he had as he was walking the earth that day. That has not changed. But what this little section shows us is a model of coming before our Lord and asking of him. Asking him humbly, asking him and requesting of him, not demanding and claiming. There are those places, aren't there, in the Christian world that call upon God to do things. God, we claim this. We demand this. We manifest this somehow before you. No, this is not a vending machine, God, we're talking about. This is a humble request where the open answer could easily have been no. And God does that, doesn't he? He often says no. Think of the great apostle Paul, who has a thorn in the flesh. Don't know what that is, but it's painful and horrible. And the apostle Paul doesn't like it. And remember what he says in 2 Corinthians, I asked three times that the thorn in the flesh be taken away. And God said to the great apostle Paul, no. Well, think of Jesus. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. Father, take this cup away from me. And what does the Father say to that? No. See, we cannot come to the Lord Jesus just because he's got the authority to heal and demand of him that he must do what we ask him to do. No, it's his authority. And sometimes he says no to us. And if he can say no to the great apostle Paul and can say no to his only dear beloved son, then when he says no to us, we can have confidence, can't we? That it's not got anything to do with withholding something from us. But everything to do with our best and the best of those around us. When we ask humbly and he says no. But to this man, he says yes. And almost in slow motion. And I think that's how Matthew wants us to to read this section in verse 3. 
Jesus stretches out his hand. You're supposed to see it in slow motion because the hand of Jesus, clean and perfect in every way, is coming out to this man with a skin disease. And as they touch, there's supposed to be infection from the infected man to Jesus. What are you doing, Jesus? Why are you touching this man? Slow motion, it's happening and they, they touch. And normal, normally the leper would infect and make unclean the person that touched him. But here it is the other way around. That Jesus, his authority and power brings about change and healing in this man. It's a brilliant picture. And then we have that strange thing, don't we, in verse 4. Jesus says, don't go and tell anyone about this. Just go to the, to the priest and do the right thing according to the law of Moses. What's going on here? I mean, we live in the mission age, don't we? Everything's about telling people about Jesus. And so it should be because he's so great. So why would Jesus say, don't tell people about me? Well, think about it for a minute. Put yourself in, in those shoes. Here's the man. He comes with a hood over his face. The two hands touch. We see it happen in slow motion. There are crowds all around. What are the crowds going to think? Jesus is unclean. Let's get rid of him. So you better keep it quiet, mate. Go to, the, go to the temple and show that everything's fine and then you'll be free and easy to go and no one will know that I'm to be considered unclean in this world. That's why Jesus says, don't go and tell anyone. Just get on your way and go and live a free life. And so Jesus uh, cleanses this leper, an outcast man who you would not expect to be looked after. Secondly, we get the centurion, verses 5 to 13. And perhaps the theme of this little interaction is surprise. This passage is incredibly surprising. And we don't necessarily pick up all the surprises because we're familiar with a story like this. But let me lay out to you just a few of the surprises that someone reading this for the first time might have seen. First of all, it is surprising that a Roman officer would go and approach a Jewish rabbi. Remember, the, the Jews are the underlings. The, the Romans are in charge. And that this Roman officer would come to a Jewish rabbi is odd and surprising. Secondly, this Roman officer appeals to Jesus with passion and, and crying out to him in a rather uncivilised way for someone who's supposed to be in charge. That's surprising to us. It's surprising that this Roman officer who is in charge of all of the Jewish nation comes and calls Jesus Lord. Whether that meant uh, Lord as we understand it or just Master, it's strange and surprising. It's surprising that this man, the centurion, who's an important man in the Roman world, wants his servant to be healed rather than just tossing him on the trash pile to begin with. He shows a humility that's surprising of this man. And then there's the surprising things on behalf of Jesus. It's surprising that Jesus, a Jewish man, would even talk to a Gentile man like this. It's surprising that Jesus, a Jewish man, would be open to help a Gentile man like this. It's surprising that Jesus would be very open to coming to a Gentile man's house like this. But it's Jesus that ends up being surprised. Look at verse 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you the truth, no one 
in Israel, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I can tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is surprised in this section too. Surprised by the centurion's faith. Despite every reason in the world culturally not to trust Jesus. This centurion recognises Jesus' great authority, humbles himself before Jesus just like the leper did and trusts that he could heal his servant even if he's not present with the servant. That's some serious faith, isn't it? To get past all the cultural mores and then to realise that Jesus can heal right there and then. The centurion lived that life, didn't he, where it was a life of authority. He could make stuff happen. Do this and it happens. Come here and it happens. But in this situation, he was powerless. And sometimes we, we are in a similar boat to this centurion, aren't we? It remains true today that many of us still have a relative authority in our own lives. We have a, perhaps a position of authority at work or, or, or a position of authority in our own family or in our sporting teams or in our ministry groups or whatever the case may be. There's nothing wrong with that authority. And used well, it can be a gift from God, but it can give us the illusion that we're actually in control of something, can't it? And often God takes us to the end of our rope to realise that even though we've got all this control mechanism in our life, some level of authority that allows us to call the shots, sometimes we get to the end of ourselves and we realise we don't have the authority after all. Just like this man. And faith is the ability to know that Jesus' authority is everywhere, all the time, over all of us. And for some of us, sometimes we have to be convinced, don't we, that the authority of Jesus is actually for our good. Sometimes we're tempted to think that Jesus isn't actually the authority over our lives, or that he is the authority but he's not a loving authority, or that he is the authority but not a caring authority. We should always submit to him because he is a loving, caring authority over our lives. And when we, when we struggle to see this, we've got to cast our eyes to the cross to prove once again to ourselves that this is the truth. The cross shows us that Jesus is the authority, a loving, caring authority, willing to take on the sins of us and of the world for our benefit. And yet this passage says, doesn't it, that it's not always like this for everyone. There will be people who don't recognise the authority of Jesus. And as you read the Gospels and you're confronted with Jesus once again, you notice that he talks about hell more than anyone. And here it's a disturbing scene, isn't it? In the first place for the Jewish nation who won't recognise the authority of Jesus, but also today for the many, many people of our own town who will not recognise the authority of Jesus. For them, it is the outer darkness and the weeping and gnashing of teeth that comes before them in eternity. How horrible. And Jesus confronts us with this. And we, like this centurion, must understand his authority. And his authority that expands to all areas of life. It expands to our work. So that we go into our workplaces ready to glorify God as our master, honour our boss, 
as one put there by God and love others in the workplace as we seek to have Jesus the authority in our household so Jesus is the the number one goal in our household we want to disciple our kids before the Lord rather than before their studies or their sports we want to make Jesus the authority in the decisions we make we don't want to cut corners so that we can make more money or or break the rules just so that we can get our own way in the world and culture in which we live but we do that so often we just say it's just one time Lord surely I can get away with that well we fail to recognize Jesus as the authority even as we read his word and we come before his word and we say well we know better today Lord surely you can't mean that but with Jesus as the authority we are in the best place to live a life to the full that brings real and true equality in our life as well I was told by someone the other day about their, uh, their uh, company that they work in and the lunchroom bible study that happens once a week and they said there's people uh, all throughout the, the company, people that are the high-ranking officials in the company and people that are the kind of the plebs down the bottom of the line. But as they all gather together in the lunchroom and they submit themselves to the authority of Jesus, then all of a sudden you can have a leader in the group that's just one of the low plebs in the company. Because under Jesus, they're all the same. All of the same authority. And it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. Well, finally, we get to verses 14 and 15. Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. There's no jokes in this section, mother-in-law section. I refuse to make jokes about that. <laughs> Although it is interesting, isn't it? It is a bit of a joke to think, actually, uh, that uh, the very first pope was married. That's a bit of a joke, isn't it? The very first pope was married. Apparently, popes are not supposed to be married anymore. But this first pope had a mother-in-law. And here he is. And here she is. And here we see in this section that Jesus comes and heals her. Unlike the other two, she doesn't ask for it, neither does Peter. This healing is not in a reaction to others or even their faith. And here we're shown by Matthew that the authority of Jesus is not because others have requested it, but it's purely on his decision. It's his authority to exercise as he wills rather than as we wills. He's not having his arm twisted by our faith, as important as that is. And so this woman immediately is made well and, and it gets up to serve Jesus faithfully. So here we have right in front of us the authority of Jesus in three different narratives. The authority to heal, the authority to transform. And as we've already seen, this is a, not a promise that it must be done here and now, although Jesus' power remains available and will be used in this world. But it is a promise of the healing and transforming power of Jesus forever that by his death on the cross he will provide healing that lasts forever. And what he's continued to promise for us is a transformation in life and in spirit. Romans 12, 1-2 remind us that when we put ourselves under the authority of the word of God as our minds are renewed, our lives will be transformed by Jesus. And whether we see it in our own lives now or look back with hindsight in the future we can know this the authority of Jesus to transform our lives remains true today and while he might be generous to grant to us physical healing he will provide it for us perfectly in the future and so today see the authority of Jesus with fresh eyes today 
Place yourself under the authority of Jesus joyfully because he will meet your needs. He will meet your needs perfectly and completely. Well, I'm going to pause and, and you might like to ask a question or two. Uh, there's some hard stuff in all of that, uh, particularly pastorally, so you might like to ask a question or two. I'm going to just pause for 90 seconds or so, uh, have a look at the questions, come back and answer a couple, then we'll sing our final song. All right, a couple of things coming through. Thank you for writing them. Uh, there's one here. Uh, there are other cases in the Gospels where Jesus tells someone that, he'd heal, uh, that he has healed not to talk about it. Is it the same answer for all these cases? Uh, no, it's not. Um, uh, when Jesus heals, he's showing the power of God. And the problem with humanity, when humanity comes into contact with God, there's always a reaction. There's always a... So Jesus reveals himself in... in his ministry uh, more and more over time. And so uh, Jesus' ministry is time-related. It's not as if he kind of came onto the scene in his ministry at 30 years of age and then just went, bang, I'm God, everyone. Here's all my God stuff. It kind of came out over time. And the reason for that is we needed his ministry over the three years because if it had have happened all at once, that had killed him in five minutes and that would have been it um, because human beings and God can't come into contact with each other without trying to get rid of God. Um, so that's kind of what happens. So in some of the other occasions, he tells them to be quiet because he doesn't want a huge kerfuffle about what's going on, um, which will highlight his godness too early, if that makes sense. Um, so that's often what happens throughout the Gospels. This one's a little bit different because it's a leper that people would have known it was a leper. Oh, Jesus is unclean now. And that would have been a, a drama that uh, I think he didn't want to deal with at that time. Um, second one, an observation that Jesus touched the leper when his power didn't clearly didn't necessitate it. Yeah, that's right. The other guy, he heals him from a distance. He didn't need to touch the leper, um, but he did it deliberately. Uh, and, and that's why I think the slow motion thing's there to show us that the touch is going on and it should go from one way to the other, but it actually goes from Jesus' power through to him. Um, uh, question here, where does the theological idea of cessation come from? So the theological idea of cessation is that the spiritual gifts of the people of God have ceased to happen uh, today, or the, particularly the, the, the supernatural ones. Um, uh, it comes from various places across the Bible. Um, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. That's certainly not what I've been trying to teach today. Um, uh, 
I think it's I think it's both both and Jesus can do amazing things in this world today, um, but for the most part, that's not what happens. And so we we trust him at his word rather than trusting him at the miracles that he might might continue to do. Um, and then Rod finally has said, good clarification on healing. Thanks. How can we gracefully respond then to the question, why isn't God healing me? Um, I've said this sort of many times before. You need to prepare beforehand for this. Okay, so you need to get ready now. If you're not sick now, you will be because everyone's going to die. So you need to be ready for this now. If you're not ready for this now and getting your heart ready for this now, you'll be in a bad place when you finally do get sick and start to question God about it. God never promised it. God is able to, but he never promised it to you. You need to remember that. Secondly, and this is connecting with our Bible studies that we've done recently in Ecclesiastes. The groups that I'm in will know this analogy, but um, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, talks about life under the sun. And I like to think of life as one of those big garden mazes. You know, the garden mazes with big bushes in it and whatever else, big um, uh, hedges everywhere. The world is like living in a hedge maze. Right? And you're just running through it and you kind of don't know where you're going uh, and what you're doing. But the whole idea of being inside the hedge maze is like being under the sun. The whole idea of being in the hedge maze is to get out of the thing, right? To get out of the thing. And our life is lived in a hedge maze. Okay? But for the Christian, we know that we're living in this hedge maze. Oh, we're going to get out. That, that's the best thing. We're going to get out at some point. That's awesome. What most people in this world do is they get to a little dead end of the hedge maze and they set up life at the end of the dead end of the hedge maze and say, yay, this is so wonderful. Look at all the wonderful things I've got inside the hedge maze. And it's meaningless and pointless. And I use this analogy because I think what the Christian needs to do is to reset their mind and think about the fact that actually this world inside this maze is not the most important part. And so even if we don't happen to be healed in this world at this time, and again, this is a mental thing you've got to do now rather than later, uh, you've got to recognise it's better outside the maze than inside the maze. We all want to live here as long as we can, don't we? I get that. But being with Christ is better by far. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Being outside the maze is better by far. Will you prepare your hearts for that, thinking that it actually is better on the other side? Uh, or will you try and set up in a little dead end here and try and get the, squeeze the sponge of getting the, the best out of life here and now? Um, because Jesus saved us for life outside the maze, which is so glorious we can't even imagine how wonderful it's going to be. And so I, I would want to train your hearts to remember that in the good times so that you can pull that out when you uh, are tested in the bad times. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the authority of the Lord Jesus, the authority to heal. We thank you for the healing that comes to you your people perfectly in the future. We long for that day and we ask please that you would help us to uh, uh, set our minds on, uh, on that day when the Lord Jesus will uh, set us free from the lim limitations of this body and give to us a new and eternal life with a new body uh, that cannot decay any, any longer. Uh, please uh, remind us now of your authority. Help us to live joyfully under your authority in all that we do. Uh, and we pray that we would humbly come before you uh, and, uh, and, and request of you what you alone can do. Uh, and we ask it in Jesus' name.